Hello and welcome to the ICANN Community Church Podcast with me, your host, Bishop Wayne Malcolm. ICANN Community Church is situated in London's East End and comprises a youthful and diverse congregation. For details, visit our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com. But now, join us in one of our live services where I'm teaching transformational truths from the Bible. This cloud of glory just hovering over my soul as I've contemplated this particular series and I'm going to try to get through it tonight in spite of how thick the cloud of his presence really is. But sometimes the cloud is so thick, you have to stop and just be still and know that he is God. So I'm going to continue what we started this morning with part two in our series on spiritual intelligence. And I'm going to be reading from the book of Job. Chapter number 38, Job chapter number 38. And we don't have any multimedia here today, so you're going to need a mobile phone, an app, or a Bible. But when you can see Job 38, would you say amen? And when the rest of you can see Job 38, would you say amen? Job 38... Verses 1 and following. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Darkening counsel by words without knowledge. Obscuring the very best advice by words that are void of spiritual intelligence. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And all the people said, Amen. So I'm going to entitle this installation of our series Intelligent Worship intelligent worship why don't you look at your neighbor and say neighbor he's going to talk about intelligent worship 
And the assumption is that there is such a thing as ignorant worship. And it's where Jesus said to some folks in St. John's Gospel, you worship, you know not what. He said, we know what we worship. And proceeded to explain what is the essence of worship. So what I'm going to do tonight is take us on a bit of a journey in an attempt to increase our spiritual intelligence in the area and the arena of worship. Because I can think of nothing more frustrating than to be in the presence of a spiritual opportunity and unable to seize it. Or to have spent your time and money to be in the presence of believers who are congregating in worship. And to come away with nothing but the same feeling you might get from a concert. Because if this is in fact spiritual, then I'm supposed to come away with something spiritual. Even if the music wasn't that good. And even if the temperature wasn't perfect, and even if the seats weren't exactly comfortable, I'm supposed to come out of the experience with something powerful. And to this end, we dedicate tonight's message. This morning, I shared with you that the creation of heaven was part of the earth project part of the earth project. When we think of the creation of the earth, we're pretty clear that the earth was created for man because God gave man dominion over the earth as a realm. But what is not always clear is that he likewise created the heavens for the earth. That he did not need heaven as a dwelling place because he clearly lived somewhere before he created heaven. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth so that wherever he was before heaven existed, he ultimately still is. And he has chosen to enthrone himself in this realm called heaven, which is his throne. But to suggest that a throne is a house is perhaps missing the point. If heaven is his throne, then where is his house? Heaven is then but a piece of his house, an item of furniture in his house. And heaven was created for earth, for man, as the storehouse, the warehouse, the resource center where all of his spiritual resources would be kept in stock so that at whatever time man needed a spiritual resource, he could get it from the storehouse that is heaven. And perhaps we should accept that resourcefulness is much more important than resources. That resources are physical, but resourcefulness is spiritual. And that if you acquire resources without being resourceful, you may 
fail to appreciate the resource, fail to utilize the resource, fail to exploit the resource because you are not resourceful. So that without energy, without wisdom, which are spiritual features, without focus, vision, creativity, then all the tools in the world won't produce for you any item of value. You can be very poor, surrounded by resources. I think if you look at the history of the world and the geography of the world and the demography of the world, you will notice that some of the poorest people in the world live on some of the richest pieces of real estate in the world. I'll say that again. Some of the poorest people in the world live on some of the richest continents in the world. Some of the poorest people in the world live on top of gold and diamonds and copper and minerals that have extreme value in the marketplace. Their soil is so fertile, it is capable of producing some of the most nutritious crops and vegetation known to man. Yet they are poor because without resourcefulness, you cannot use the resource to your advantage. Resourceful people will do more with less than resource-rich people who are not resourceful. So when we run out of internal resources, God has ordained a storehouse that we can visit in order to top up on our spiritual energies. So that when you're low on spiritual energy, it is not a phone call that's going to pick you up. It's not a drink up that's going to pick you up. If you are low on energy, you're going to have to visit the storehouse. If your vision is not clear, you're going to have to visit the storehouse to get your vision back. If you're not feeling creative, energetic, passionate, focused, you're going to find that in the storehouse. And if you do find those internal resources in the storehouse, you will come back to earth <laughs> and, and take whatever you have and turn it into whatever you need. You will make much out of a little because of your level of resourcefulness. You will actually stop complaining about what resource you don't have and instead you will celebrate the resource you do have and you will convert it into everything that you need. Which is why when you say, God, I'm down to nothing, he's going to ask you, what do you have in the house? What do you have in your hand? Well, in the house, I have a pot of oil. Well, what you have is all you're going to need once you are creatively resourceful, rich in faith, rich in creativity, rich in passion, rich in energy. That little pot of oil could actually be the beginning of an oil business. So if I stay out of the storehouse that heaven is for too long, I'm going to run out. I'm going to deplete. I'm going to be like a car that is run low on petrol, oil, and water. 
And the car needs those three essential fluids in order to keep going. And if I ignore all of the indicators, all of the warnings, all of the red lights, and just keep on driving, eventually I'm going to crash, I'm going to stop. And what is often difficult is if you stop in between service stations. Because now you're going to have to thumb a ride. In other words, you're going to have to find someone who has energy, who has fuel, who has oil, who has water, to take you to the place where, where to get it so you can get it and continue on your journey. So what a church service does is it presents for us an opportunity to fill up the tank. Mm-hmm. It does. Spiritual disciplines, spiritual activities are an opportunity to fill up the tank. And as we shared this morning, Jesus is the door. He is a portal that gives us access to the rich realm. Woo! The rich realm. Why do I call heaven a rich realm? Because in all the metaphoric descriptions of heaven, which have to be metaphors, really, and, you know, at a naive infantile level, we like to think that heaven is, is, uh, is, uh, has streets made of gold and gates made, made of pearl. But these are beautiful prophetic pictures to describe how rich, abundant, wealthy heaven actually is. When we run out, our job is to go to the wealthy place and to fill up. And what we have through Christ is a door that allows us to go into the wealthy place. Watch this now. To go into the wealthy place with his debit card. Wish I had some help in here. Because if I give you my debit card and my PIN... Your credit history doesn't matter. Your bank account doesn't matter. Your, what you have, what you've done, your financial personality doesn't matter because you're buying it with my stuff. Which means that when Christ gave you the power of attorney, which is the legal authority to use his name, he is giving you his debit card and he's saying when you go to the storehouse of heaven, don't buy anything in your own name, buy it in my name. Don't try to put your debit card on the table, put my debit card on the table, you go there in my name. When you go in his name, you are now worthy of anything that he can afford. If he can afford it, you can have it. Now I need you to talk back to me and say, if he can afford it, I can have it. Whew. I think we need to say it again. If he can afford it, I can have it. Which is why you have to come boldly to the throne. Because if you're not coming boldly, you are actually wondering about your credit history. You're wondering about your account. You're wondering about your status. You are wondering about yourself. And the problem is that in this dimension, listen to me carefully, sin is not allowed. Sin is not allowed. You cannot bring sin into that dimension because when it comes into contact with that dimension, it will die. And the carrier thereof will die. So you can't bring sin into that dimension. So in the gospel, what Christ did is he became you in the earth and that was the grace of God. Which meant that God credited Christ with your sins while he was on earth. 
which is why he bore the penalty for your sins, even though he had committed no sin, he was credited with your sin. That's by grace. Through faith, God credits me with his righteousness. Even if I haven't been as righteous as him, he credits me with his righteousness so that I do not appear in heaven as a sinner. I appear in heaven as Christ. Which is why the Bible teaches that we are in him. Our life is hidden with God in him. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him. Because when God sees you, he sees you through Christ. He does not see you in your earthly persona. He sees you in your heavenly persona, which is righteous, which is worthy, which is holy, which is justified, which is glorified, which is sanctified, which is blameless, which is without fault. So you have a right to anything you request from the storehouse because you're not coming in your name. You're coming in his name. And that's the through faith part. By grace, he became you in the earth. Through faith, I become him in the heavens. And the exchange has taken place, the crossover. It's not enough for him to have paid for your sins and taken on your life by grace. You must now by faith take on his righteousness and his life. He took your life to give you his life. And I haven't really experienced salvation until I take on his life. It's only a part job if, if he took my life. I've got to now take his life. If he took my old tattered garment and gave me a robe of pure white, I need to put it on and see what it feels like. Jesus is the door. Let's all say he's the door. And one of the ways that we enter through the door into the heavenlies, into the warehouse, into the storehouse, is through praise and worship. Through praise and worship, one of the ways we can enter in is through praise and worship. That's why I say there's a big opportunity in front of us today. But if we don't understand the opportunity, we're not going to seize the opportunity and we will pull in at the petrol station and forget to get any petrol and drive off in the red and wonder why come Wednesday we have crashed through praise and worship. But praise and worship is an intellectual activity. In other words, we are to praise him with understanding. It is not just our hands are supposed to go up, our, our mind is supposed to go up. We are supposed to be doing something for reasons that are sound and sensible. If you're clapping, you need to clap for reasons that are sound and sensible. If you're shouting, shout for reasons that are sound and sensible. If you're singing, sing for reasons that are sound and sensible. If you're praying, pray for reasons that are sound and sensible. If you're dancing, dance for reasons that are sound and sensible. Mm. And what I'm going to try to do tonight is to deliver some sound and sense to the things that we do. Because if we have sound sense to the things that we do, we will do them with a little bit more intentionality rather than coincidentiality, whereby, wow, something happened. I don't know what, but something happened. Well, rather than I don't know what happened, but something happened, because we've even got songs about that. Something happened. 
Now I know he touched me. But we don't understand what happened. It's just something happened. And perhaps we need to go beyond something happened and get a sense of, of the cause and effect, the law of causality, cause and effect, that's at work when we praise and worship. In other words, we are causing an effect with everything that we do. We're causing an effect. And if we understand the cause of a particular effect, we can use that cause to create the same effect over and over again. Surely that's the essence of science. Science doesn't really create a universe. It observes a universe that's already full of wonder. And it looks for causes behind the effects. Because if we can find the cause of an effect, we can either eliminate the effect if we don't like the effect, or we can use the cause to recreate the effect. And that's, that's how invention comes about. That's how technology comes about. That's how medicine comes about. That's how we make progress as people is we discover the causes behind the effects that we either want or we don't want. And that's our job in the spiritual arena to figure out what is causing this effect. Don't you look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, what is causing this effect? Now, I didn't say which effect. It could be an effect that you don't like. But the best thing you could do is find out what's causing that effect. Because if you can find the cause to the effect, you can eliminate the effect from its root. Instead of just pulling the fruit of it away for it to grow again. If I don't understand the cause of an effect I don't want, I never really get rid of the effect. I only ever treat the symptoms of a problem and I never get to the root. Likewise, if my, if my experience of breakthrough and triumph and all of those things are all accidental, I don't know what's causing that effect. I can't use the cause to create the effect over and over again. How many of you would like to find some causes to the best effects of your life? Amen. Some causes to the best effects of your life beautiful so there are seven hebrew words that are translated praise or a derivative of praise in the psalms in the bible seven hebrew words that are translated praise some of you are familiar with some of these words because they became quite a catchy sermon uh, back in the day and people would go through the seven words and get us all to do the seven things, okay? So Hallel is probably the base Hebrew word for praise, and it is the root of Hallelujah. Yah, the short form of Yahweh. So you are Halleling, Halleling Yahweh. But if you don't know you're Halleling Yahweh, then it's just a sound. Hallelujah. But when you are halleling, actually what you are doing, if you look at the root of the word, is you are boasting, bragging, and showing off. Which means that you've credited him with every good thing in your life. You've given him that credit, and you're bragging on him. Hallel, it's, it's him. It's Yahweh. And in the idea of Hallel is the idea of shining, okay? In other words, you cannot hide and Hallel Yahweh. It's very much something that you do to stand out. 
In fact, at its core, it means to make clear. So you stand out. It's the, you know, the halal is not, it's not. It's you want to get out of your corner and be seen to be making your boast in God. I'm not going to go through all the Hebrew words, though I could. Here's another beautiful one. There's yada. So I'll say yada. Has to do with lifting up your hands. But there's two Hebrew words that mean to lift up your hands. And, and I love this. The lifting up of your hands when you yada is the lifting up of the hands of a child to their father saying, Daddy, catch me, lift me up. Think about that for a moment. You're the child. He's your daddy. In that mindset, catch me, hold me, lift me. I'm reaching out to you. Deep, isn't it? Got a bit of meaning to it. There are words that mean to sing. There are words that mean to play instruments. There is a great word that means to shout. Shabak. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. The problem we have when studying the Hebrew words is that we're typically looking at features, not benefits. Woo, come on and preach up in here, Bishop. So once I describe the features of a particular form of praise that hasn't yet explained why you should do it or what is the benefit of praising God that way. I've told you that you can reach up to God, out to God as a child reaching out to its parents to say, lift me. But what is the benefit of that? What then actually happens once you do that? What spiritual effect does that initiate? How does that get you in the storehouse? And what do you come out of the storehouse with? Somebody help me say, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, because we're about to go in now. Are you ready? Can we go in a little bit further here? Let me tell you that for every form of praise, not only are there seven forms of praise, even the song, did you know that there are eight types of song in the Psalms? And sometimes the psalm will tell you on the top what type of psalm it is. It's not a footnote. It's in the original manuscript. So, for example, if you went to Psalm uh, 120, 121, before the psalm starts, it will say a song of degrees or a song of ascension, a song of ascent. Because for there are 15 songs in the psalms that were written by David to describe 15 steps up to the altar in his temple that he wanted to build. So the songs were songs of ascension, of climbing higher, closer, nearer to the presence of God. They have purposes. There are songs that are not even sung to God, they're sung to the enemy. They're songs of declaration. It's, it's where David is prophesying the downfall of his enemy. You, 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 you've read the Lord is my light and my salvation, who shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though war should rise against me, my heart will no, not fear. Though a hosting camp against me, uh, in this will I be confident. What is he saying? He, who is he talking to? He's making statements now. Is this making sense? All right, we're going somewhere. Are you going to stick with me on the journey? Think about this for just a moment. For all of the forms of praise 
types of psalms, expressions of worship, they are all going to fall into two categories. Everyone say two. And it's the two categories that are the, ca that are the categories we need to be concerned about. Number one, they are a form of celebration. Everyone say celebration. One more time, say celebration. Now, typically, we celebrate something that has happened. Correct? It's, it's, my, it's my birthday. I'm celebrating my birthday. It's my anniversary. I'm celebrating my anniversary. Something has happened. I'm celebrating it. But in the Hebrew context, you also celebrate what you know is going to happen. You don't actually wait for something to happen before you celebrate it. If you know it's going to happen, you celebrate it because once you believe that God is true, that he cannot lie, then his promise is as good as his performance. And I don't need him to perform before I celebrate so long as he has promised. If he has promised, it has already happened. Because who can stop him from bringing it to pass? If I promise you something, it may not happen because I cannot guarantee that I can overcome any obstacle in my way. If I say 7 o'clock, I'm not in charge of the brother who decides to break down in the Blackwall Tunnel. But if God says 7 o'clock, you can break down in the tunnel, you can blow up the tunnel, you can get rid of the tunnel, he's still going to be there at 7 o'clock because who can stop him doing what he has, in, he has determined to do? Therefore, your celebration, your celebration is not limited to what has already happened, but it includes what you see happening by faith. Whatever you see happening by faith, your job is to start celebrating it now. Whatever future you see, celebrate it now. Oh my God, look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, don't wait till the battle is over. Shout now. Don't wait till your future is manifest. Celebrate it now. And somebody said, well, is there a benefit to that? Oh, yes, there is. I'm going somewhere. Is there a benefit to it? I'm going somewhere. There is a benefit to it. Because all the forms of praise and worship fall into one of two categories. They are for celebration, or they are and they are for creation. Praise is an act of creation. Words are creative tools. How do we know this? Genesis 1. God doesn't pull out machinery. He doesn't pull out, you know, this, you know, concrete busting material he doesn't pull out the tractors he doesn't pull out the cranes he speaks into the darkness what he wants it to be he is speaking his intention into the reality that is before him because his intention is more real to him than the obstacle that's in his way He's therefore taught us that words are not just for communication, they are for creation. Which is why you have to be careful what you say. You have to start to respect the power of your own words. You have to understand that your words are like the helm of a ship. They are determining the direction of your life. If you want to control a horse, you have to put a bit in its mouth. And with a bit in its mouth, you can turn it to the left, you can turn it to the right. If you want to change the direction of a ship, 
ship. It is a small helm that is going to change its direction. That is your tongue. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is speaking and creating a direction for your life. So we've got to value our words. We've got to respect our words. We have to understand that our words are tools of creation. So that when you praise God, specifically for the things you see by faith, you are not only celebrating in advance, you are creating the very thing. I'm going to prove it to you. And if you're ready for this, you're brilliant. Because this blows me away. I need the players of instruments to be repositioned where you're meant to be. Music is spiritual. Did you know that? All music is spiritual. Did you know that? It is meant to transport words and thoughts. It carries them along a fast track to the soul. Music is not just a nice way of embellishing a service. It is a way of transporting the words to the soul. And it also utilizes left and right hemispheres of the brain, which assist faster learning and greater comprehension and memorization. Which is why there are things that you cannot remember, but you can still remember the lyrics of a song that you haven't heard for 15 years. Because through music and words, you engage both the creative and the academic brain. You embrace the creative and the logical brain. And when the two of them are working together, words, thoughts, ideas get etched into the soul so that you can remember. If you want to teach a child the alphabet, you don't say A, B, C, D. You say A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Because the child is going to remember the song. The song. Because both hemispheres of the brain are engaged. So we're not just singing and playing music in church to sound nice. There are thoughts God wants to embed within us so that even when you backslide and turn up at the club and try to act like you've never been redeemed, a song from Zion is going to come up in your mind. Y'all ain't going to help because God has burned it in you. Once a sinner far from Jesus, I was perishing with cold. But the blessed Savior heard me when I cried. Then he threw his arms around me and he led me to his fold. Now I'm living on the hallelujah side. I learned that at 17 years old. Because the old mothers in Zion sung it every week from the hymn book. Now I can't forget it. At 35 ish i can't forget it we have to regard the playing of music and the singing of songs as sacred because you are planting things in people that will stay with them forever now i'm going to show you something that if you tell me you saw it before you better prove it with some notes or a recording i'm going somewhere today because when you read the account of creation in Genesis 1, you think you're seeing the whole thing. But you're not. Because Genesis 1 is a summary 
of something that was really quite technical. So what you think is that when God was creating, he simply said, let there be light. And there was light. And you can't see what was going on in that or around that. So in the book of Job, as we read today, God asked Job some questions. Now, I need to tell you why God asked Job the questions. Because Job is the blessed man who suddenly looked like he was cursed, in one day lost everything, and his friends begin to counsel him and advise him that you must have done something to offend God for your life to have gone down this road. You must have done something wrong, otherwise God wouldn't let this happen to you. And they were using their theology, which came out of the shadows, not the light of the New Testament, but the shadows and the prefigurings of the Old Testament, which was a partial revelation of God, not a full depiction of God's character and they said to Job you need to confess your sins you are actually a sinner and that is the only explanation for the boils in your body for the loss of your wife your children, your house your business, you have to be a sinner so Job now begins to rationalize and he decides I'm going to argue with God and he starts to tell God how God should deal with his situation. He starts to advise God on how God could be a better God in his life. Is this making sense? He's now, because we get to that place, don't we? Where we're going through something and we've got a lot of advice for God and we call it prayer. We call it prayer, but we're telling God how he could be a better God and, and, and how he could look after you much better and exactly what he should be doing right now and how exactly he should deal with the situation right now. And Job is there telling God and God says, hold on a minute, Job. I'm going to talk to you now. I'm going to ask you some questions now. Now you stand up like a man and you answer me. You think you know how I should be operating right now. So let me ask you this question. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Did you give me any advice on how to create a universe out of nothing? Did you advise me on the measurements, the materials, the positioning? Science will tell you that if this planet were just a little bit to the left, we couldn't live on it. A little bit to the right, we couldn't live on it. Job, where were you when I figured it all out and put it all together? Before you tell me how to run my life, before you tell me how to do my job, before you tell me how to be a better God than I, you need to tell me where you were when I made everything that you enjoy. In other words, Job, just maybe I know what I'm doing. Just maybe, Job, I let you go through the things you went through for purposes and reasons that are above you. And just maybe if you submit and surrender to my wisdom and have some humility and praise me in the midst of it, you will find out why. I haven't dropped the bomb yet. He then says, while I was creating, laying the foundations of the earth, the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. 
That's the part you don't see in Genesis. Let there be light. All the angels are on their feet. Glory! Hallelujah! Yes, Lord! So that he was creating in an atmosphere of praise. God is not sending his word to create anything in your life if you are not responding with praise and worship and your shout. The morning stars have to sing together and the sons of God shout for joy. <laughs> he said, Job, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together. In other words, while I was making stuff, the angels were singing. While I was laying the foundation, the angels were singing. They weren't sitting back to say, let me see what becomes of this. Here he goes again talking. We're going to wait and see. While he was speaking, they were singing. And the sons of God, who were the angels, were shouting for joy. Let me tell you, if God is creating anything in your life, your job is to create an atmosphere that accelerates the process of creation. Now what do you need, child of God? What do you need God to do? You'd better start singing about it and shouting about it now. Because when you sing and shout, you are not just celebrating, you are participating in the creation of the thing. Woo! Somebody get up on your feet. I'm not sure we heard the word today. Hallelujah. I want you to get up on your feet. We're going to practice something in just a moment. I'm only now speaking to those of you who believe that God is creating a better tomorrow for you. Who believe that God is creating a bigger opportunity for you. Who believes that God is creating for you a brand new day that will make yesterday look like nothing. That God is creating for you every resource you could ever need in order to be, to do, to have anything that he has put in your heart. If you believe that God is here to create a better you, can you become the morning stars and the sons of God and put your hands together and shout for joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Woo. He's not going to create in the silence. He's not going to create in He's going to create in the noise. He's going to seed and incubate in the silence, but the creativity, the manifestation is going to happen in noise in which you're going to use your voice to co-create. Someone turned around and said, co-create? No, no, no. God just makes everything by himself. He just makes it by himself. I just need to sit there and wait for him to make it by himself. How's that working for you? But I read... Let us make man. Let us make man. Ooh, 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 ooh. I know what you're thinking. That was just a conversation in the Godhead. But when you actually understand that the angels 
participated in the co-creation through their praise. Because you know, great leadership is not about you telling your team to wait while you do and come back and take all of the celebration. It's about recognizing that every single one of us that has played any part whatsoever has been part of the creative process. And therefore, let us, let us, angels, I know you're not physically doing it, but let us, come on angels, shout, angels sing, while I'm going to make man from the dust of the earth and I'm going to breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, but it's going to be us co-creating in a partnership of praise. You can create your future by praising God for it now. I got too much proof for that. You can create your future by praising God for it now. Somebody said, well, when it happens, I'll praise him. You, you don't, you're not spiritually intelligent. You have to praise him for your future now. Whatever you see in your future by faith, your job is to get excited about it now. Your job is to get happy about it now. Your job is to sing about it now. Your job is to celebrate it now. Your job is to confess it now. Your job is to walk in it now. Your job is to claim it now. Because anything else is unbelief. Hallelujah. So, I just want those of you that are ready with me, because we, I, I need, I, you know, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to participate in the process of creating some things right now, right here on this fire night. And I want those of you that are going to join me in, in, in creating through your praise and through your worship I want you to come out and meet me right here in this altar and let's just get together in his presence hallelujah hallelujah Woo. hallelujah yes Lord You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit, or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www iCanCommunityChurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.